Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. There's something about Manchester City that's always been after the Lord Mayor's show. I remember the first time I heard someone say that about the club and it was my mum describing the defeat to Charlton at Main Road the weekend after City had won the final Manchester derby at that stadium. This week's Blue Moon podcast is about a season that's probably one of the biggest examples of after the Lord Mayor's show. Hopes were high in August 2012 as for the first time in nearly four and a half decades City were going into the new season as English champions but everything that could have gone wrong went wrong and it ended with Roberto Mancini sacking nine months later. For this trip down memory lane, I'm your host David Mooney and with me is City fan Kieran Murray. Hello. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, yeah, signed. Good to City hear. Champions of England, it's June, so. I know, I, I didn't think this was going to happen, but here we are. Can you can you yeah. believe it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the only way to get a feel for what was going on in uh, in August 2012, when the City were champions in, in June at that stage as well, um, we found during these lockdown specials that the best way to do it is to have a little bit of a listen to what was in the charts at that time. Um, so let's let's dive in now. This was what was in the charts in August Is that what you remember of 2012? <laughs> I don't think I've ever said it. Here's my fourth one. Really? Yeah, little bits of it, little bits of it still stuck out. But yeah, I, I don't know the artist, and I've never really heard it. That was that was number one for at least a week, and it was also it was used on so many kind of TV packages and highlights things. Right. I don't know. Um, did you pick Maroon Five because of our awake at that season? Uh, I didn't, but it's a very good connection. <laughs> No, I picked it because it was just popular and in the charts. That's all. That's all I do. I go yeah. on officialcharts.com and see what was in the charts at the time. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. Well, uh, City fans have been going around with their chests puffed out and their heads held high all summer, not just because of the 2012 title, but the manner in which it was won as well. So the mood going into the new season was understandably upbeat, but there were problems behind the scenes, which we're going to get into now. Kieran, like, how were you feeling ahead of that that 2012-13 campaign? Um, I I wasn't really that upbeat, to be honest with you, David. Um, it's sort of the anxiety of the last, you know, few minutes of uh and, and the big release of this you know at the end of the 2012 uh season i just i felt like we'd got away with it a little bit we'd stolen it and um i was a little bit worried we were kind of returning to the scene of the crime uh, <laughs> when it came into the uh 2012 2013 season Um i just i worried a little bit about our mentality going forward Clearly, we just, by the skin of our teeth, I mean, I'm not taking away from it, and I'm still eating out and dining out on how brilliant it was, but, um, you know, we we just won it on goal difference. And it felt like we needed a big push if we were going to kind of establish ourselves as regular challengers and, and kind of cement ourselves there, you know, as champions and kind of create a dynasty, as it were. Um, and going into that season... I don't really think, you know, I felt ready for it. It was a Euro 2012 season, you know, it was the, the Euros summer. Um, so we hadn't really had a break either from football. Lots of our players were away. That kind of hampered pre-season, um, you know, preparations and stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't remember being, I can't, you know, obviously it's nice when the football comes back, but I don't really remember being fully optimistic that we had it in us to do it again. Yeah, I, 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 I was completely the opposite. I thought, well, this yeah. team has, has won the title. And, and bear in mind as well, like like Guardiola City became the first to, to defend the Premier League in 10 years. Well, this was this was only, it's only like like two or three years since a team had defended the title at this stage. So it wasn't unheard mm. of that that teams yeah. were defending the title for, for a while. And so I thought, oh, well, City can, City can join that club this year. They had the best team last year. And I thought that the year, even though it, it took a, a last-minute goal to, to, to win the title over United, I thought City had, had outperformed United so much that season. United had had so many strokes of good fortune along the way. I, I remember a couple of games that they won, by, you know, really tight games where they'd won, yeah. where Ashley Young had got a couple of penalties through diving, where they'd, where they'd just got the rub of the green at the right time. And I felt like City hadn't had the rub of the green the year before and had still gone on to win the title so I thought well when all that kind of evens out a bit I think City will be be ahead of United um, mm. but then as the summer went on and they weren't signing any players did that yeah. at, at that point did, were you thinking well they need to they need to bring new faces in yeah no that and, and that was it as well um, you kind of looking at transfer rumours and things and, and really hoping something was going to come through and nothing really did our targets kind of were, were never really they never really seemed realistic, you know. You never got to the stage where it felt like, oh, this is happening. Um, and then I, I, I was just really concerned that we weren't kicking on, you know. As I say, that we just just got over the line against United, um, despite clearly and throughout the, the the main body of the season being way way better than them. Um, I just you, you wanted to put some, you wanted to put a sort of cherry on top to kind of add to what we had already done. To kind of kick on another bit and kind of and, and really this time instead of just getting over the line or winning it by the skin of our teeth you know to really put some distance between us and I didn't feel that that the transfer approach that summer was really ever going to do that 
Yeah, well, Roberto Mancini wasn't happy with the situation either. Uh, Whenever he spoke to the press, he continued to put pressure on the sporting director, who was Brian Marwood at the time, uh, just to get new faces into the team. Here's what he said in the press conference two days before the Community Shield. At that time as well, City was still yet to bring in any new arrivals. I don't know what they should say in this moment, because after three months, four months, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Is that situation, though... Are you okay with it? I mean, you're obviously aware you signed a new deal. Brian Marwood is the sporting director. You're happy with your role and his role in terms of the way that transfers are done? No, no, I'm not happy. But uh, this one, I won't say nothing at the moment. Uh, Ideally, then, you want more people in. Are you hopeful no, that this no, might happen? No, it's not. Uh, I think, I have my opinion that uh, we... We have, uh, for me, we have a good team, uh, but we built this team two years ago. I think that uh, is impossible that after two years uh, you did everything uh, well, uh, and uh, you need to continue to improve. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And as City fans headed to Villa Park for the Community Shield match with Chelsea, news of their first signing of that summer broke. The club had spent £12 million on getting Jack Rodwell from Everton. Here's what he said to City TV. It's amazing. Uh, I'm really excited to get started. Um, you know, it's a dream come true for me. So, like I said, I just can't wait now. Can you tell us how it all came about? Because it's come about quickly at this end. Yeah, I mean, it's been kept under, under wraps quite, quite nicely and uh, it's been going on for the past couple of weeks, negotiations, so, you know, I've been told to keep quiet about it, but the uh, last couple of days it's progressed really quickly, so, you know, I'm just really pleased it's done. And the, the challenge of actually just getting into the team, how does that phase you, or doesn't it? Yeah, it doesn't phase me, obviously, I, I knew that the squad was uh, is immense in, in talent here, uh, but, you know, I'm, I believe in my ability, um, it's, it's a big squad, but... It's healthy competition and, you know, I'm going to improve as a player as well. So I'm really excited. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. There were then no more new arrivals at City until the day before the transfer deadline. That's when Richard Wright came out of retirement to join City as third goalkeeper. Then on deadline day, City went into overdrive. They spent a total of 40.2 million, plus the value of, or whatever that was, of Stefan Savic, to bring in Scott Sinclair, Mykon, Matthias Nastasic and Javi Garcia. So on, on deadline day, the season had already started, Kieran. How were you then feeling that, that City had, had got some new faces in, albeit at the very last minute? Um, I used to love transfer deadline day when it was exciting and interesting. And it was, you know, it was really nice kind of following on Twitter and following on Sky Sports and things. It was almost an event. But Gary Neville said that very famous quote, didn't he? he tweeted that evening. Uh, transfer deadline day business is an indicator of badly run football clubs, um, which is ironic given that f- the fact that United have basically signed somebody in transfer deadline day every window ever since. since yeah. yeah, but um, it was that was an, a, a really overt dig at City and what we were doing. I don't think that it, none of our plan A's had worked out, none of our plan B's had worked out. So it seemed like nearly every signer on that day was a plan C or worse. And it was just kind of Marwood realizing in the end that he that he kind of had to act, um, and kind of who's available. Let's get them in. That's it. Yeah, and you could you could sense with the Micon signing that it was probably just you know some contact from uh, Inter who Mancini knew sort of said that Micon's available. Do you want him? And it was kind of like a yeah, we'll have him. You know, as opposed to like actively going to seek him. Yeah. And um, Scott Sinclair is often 
overlooked when it comes to you know talking about worse signings. Um, he just never really had the quality. We barely played. We and he barely played, and there was no real width under Mancini ever. So, you know, signing this little winger, uh, just it, it didn't. There's no wonder he really didn't play. Uh, Mancini's sort of trademark didn't didn't really work through the use of a winger. Um, Nigel De Jong had left, and if Garcia was looked at as sort of as a replacement from him for him, um, I don't really think that, that was in any way going to kind of match up to what De Jong offered us. Um, and we kind of haven't talked about Rodwell yet. I was actually quite excited about him, and it's interesting that he said that um, he kept it quiet and the negotiations were were done quickly because. He's the last sign, and I remember there being no rumours about whatsoever. Yeah, and I'm. It, I'm not. I'm not convinced though that 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 was true. I've, it felt very much like a rushed signing again, like uh, like they'd gone in the last minute and gone his uh, how much for Rodwell and Everton had named the price and City had met it. That's kind of how yeah. it felt to me. Right. Okay. Um, but I was quite excited by him. He was. He was sort of. If you were talking about box to box midfielders, he was kind of what we what we lacked a little bit and he could have really been useful but um and i remember him against when city played ever in the previous season he man marked david silva at home and said he went on to win a 2-0 if you remember balotelli and, and milner scored balotelli ran over to celebrate with uh, mancini but Sil- Moyes had put jack rodwell on silva that whole game and he didn't let him breathe once so he was really disciplined and, and you know a good little player but Moyes was really wily when it came to transfers and he wouldn't have let him go unless, you know, he, he sort of knew that something about him. Yeah. And he, it turned out he was made of glass completely, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned about missing out on, on the plan A's. Uh, Van Persie and De Rossi were the two big name signings that City were trying to make all summer. In the end, it, it turned out that Van Persie just wanted to play for Ferguson, so there was absolutely nothing they could have done about that one. Uh, yeah. De Rossi felt like... Like it was almost like they got him away from Roma a couple of times, but then he got cold feet about it. Mm. I mean, he was born in Rome, wasn't he? And yeah. He, he played for Roma since 2001. So prying him away to, and I mean, at the time, and I was listening to the Gary Cook podcast um, this week again that you, you and Burns did, um, and Cook was saying, you know, you had to basically throw money at these players at the time and had to spend big. So De Rossi kind of, leaving his hometown club, if you will, where he'd been for uh, for all those years. I, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. But what a signing I think he would have been. Yeah. Um, he he you know, was he was the one that if they'd have got him they wouldn't have had Garcia, would they? That's that's, that's, that's it. as simple that's as that, it. yeah. Um sure. were you nervous about Van Persie going to United? Yeah, I was shitting it. Um I never ever felt that summer that we were getting Van Persie. It it just completely felt like pie in the sky. Um and I always knew we'd go to United, but and I, I do you know what? And I, I knew we'd go to United, and I knew he'd, he'd be successful. There was just no two ways about it. He got twenty six goals that year. He won. He won Golden Boot for he, two different clubs. He, he, yeah, he was the difference between the two clubs, wasn't he? It was just, it was simple as that. Um, for the second season running, City were playing in the Community Shield. It again finished three uh, two, but this time it was in City's favour as goals from Yaya Toure, Sami Nasri, and Carlos Tevez finished off Roberto Di Matteo's side. Let's have a listen to those goals. Slipped in, Torre. Nasri trying to slip it into Carlos. 
Branislav Ivanovic. Carry it full stretch. It's Yaya Toure. Another big goal for Manchester City from big Yaya Toure. Tevez. Oh, what a goal that is. Kolarov. Nasri. And Daniel Sturridge is well struck and Pantelimon lost it. Just his ball through Ryan Bertrand. So that was held at Villa Park because of the London Olympics. Uh, was that? Do you think that's better than Wembley? Yeah. Um, well, it's just better that Chelsea fans had to travel a bit. Uh, the amount of London teams who get the finals at Wembley and then you know just kind of rock onto the tube and, and end up there <laughs> and, and they're home for tea time. Uh, yeah, no, I, there's something that was famous last words, really, because I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about neutral grounds this later this month. But there's something about a kind of, um, you know, another team's ground being used for a big event. I quite, I quite like it. And I love Villa Park as a stadium anyway. Me too. I, I really, I miss the days of where the FA Cup semi-finals would be all over the country at, at different yeah. venues. I, 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 I always remember, it wasn't used towards the end of its run, but Main Road used to be a semi-final venue for mm. um, for, for the FA Cup. And I, I, I just feel like it's, it makes that getting to Wembley an honour. And okay, the Community Shield is a final, but only two teams play in it, and you have you have to have been to you know you have to have won a, a competition to get there in the first place. So I That's I can I, I can buy the argument for having it at neutral ground or at Wembley. I'm not really bothered about that, but it was just nice to be somewhere else. Yeah, the thing the thing I really don't like about Wembley is the semi final of the FA Cup there. So you're in the quarter final and you're going on to win, and the crowd are are. are uh, or chanting K Sarasara, we're going to Wembley, you know, for a semi final. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not got that sort of uh, that magic anymore. It's not, has it? Um, this was the first game that Mancini really kind of showed off his new 3 5 2 formation. And I tell you what, it told me why City were, were later in the later in the window, why City went on to get Mike on, you know. Yeah, I mean, because it kind of it, it, the theory being that you'd have Kolarov on one side, Mykon on the other, and they would play more attacking than the fullbacks would do because Kolarov wasn't great defensively either. No, and you could have your three centre backs do the do the defending, and it all it also provided a way to get two strikers into the team to have both Tevez and Aguero. Yeah, in some ways, David, I think the three at the back thing and and Mancini's. Um, willingness to to use it and to tinker and experiment was was definitely when you look at that you go i see why he was doing it i see what he was going for um but for a number of reasons it just never worked now it worked on that day but when you think about it we conceded two still and chelsea had a man sent off <laughs> chelsea had a man sent off but the, i think the only reason it did work is that ivanovic went um i people were um after the match, Mancini was kind of felt that it was validated that what he'd done, and he was vindicated for his decision to kind of move to, th- to three at the back. But actually, it only sort of kicked in once Chelsea were a man light. Um, it, I mean, you you love Mancini's tinkering and his tactics. He's famous, isn't he, for the first ever football tactic, which was <laughs> uh, <laughs> bringing Nigel De Jong on and, and pushing Yaya Torre further forward. Um, but I always thought that reacting to games, you know, in the moment, and w- w- the uh, the idea of Jacko being brought on so often was was really um, 
like pay dividends throughout the season. But it seemed like tinkering for tinkering's sake a little bit, this three at the back thing. And also, he didn't seem to want to um, look at the opposition first. Do you know how Guardiola will look at every single game on its individual merit? And and how to how and how not only to, to stop the opposition, but how to get the best out of his own team while stopping them. That's it. Mancini sometimes had that kind of strict, regimental, draconian approach. And it was a little bit like, this is my way or the highway. Buy into it or shut up. Um, and I remember Michael Richards, he, he publicly sort of said that we don't really know what we're doing, but the manager likes it, so we're going to go with it. And... Do you remember this? Mancini sort of said... I don't remember that at all. Yeah, Mancini came out and said, um, if you can't get your head around this tactic that we're doing, you shouldn't play for a top club. Um, So (laughs) Diplomatic as ever. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Like it or lump it, really, wasn't it? With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. There were certainly some concerns early on about the way City were playing, if not the, uh, through the results. Um... They'd won the Community Shield 3-2 and an opening Premier League win over newly promoted Southampton also sparked a scare. That finished 3-2 as well, with City having been trailing at home with 20 minutes to go. Here's Samir Nazarit speaking to Sky after that match. It was a difficult game. Good squad of uh, Southampton who play a really good football and uh, reminds me a little bit uh, Swansea last year. So it was difficult, but uh, at the end we, we've got three points. Were you a bit off the pace today, Manchester City? You're not quite there yet. No, uh, no, no. I think we are ready. Uh, we did it against Chelsea, but you know sometimes it's, a, it's a, always a little bit difficult when you, you miss the first chance of the game, when you miss a penalty, then the confidence becomes a little bit low. And uh, after one uh, one nil, maybe we were overconfident and they, they punish us. Uh, but uh, we show great character and that's the most important. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That made it three consecutive 3-2 wins where City have been trailing at some point from QPR through Chelsea to Southampton. Um, it's I, I, I have a bit of sympathy with that Southampton game because the momentum was knocked out of City straight away with the injury to Sergio Aguero inside 15 minutes. Um, how do you think that affected City's start that season? Um, yeah, I mean... For, it was awful, wasn't it? It was really, really cruel finger of fate that kind of that Aguero had just been celebrated all summer, and you know had just produced the best goal, well not the best, but like the best moment in Premier League history, and then fifteen minutes into the next season, uh, you know he's the one who gets injured, and it's like we we really missed out an opportunity, a lot of what ifs about how that season could have went and how Aguero could have kicked on from that unbelievable moment. Um, yeah, no, it that that game. So the the penalty sort of soon afterwards as well, and and Silva missed it. I just I remember just thinking this doesn't this doesn't feel right. This doesn't bode well. Um, City. I remember remember that the fifth of November two thousand <laughs> eleven was the first time that City had been behind in a game in that season. 
So do you remember the uh, the QPR game actually? It, another three two. Where it was in the lovely black and red stripe. Silver scored that wonderful goal where he took three yeah. or four players out with a touch. Yeah. So City had been behind in that game. Um, but it wasn't until early November, the first time we were behind in that season. And then in the Southampton game with uh, Steve Davis's goal, we were behind already in the first in the first game. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, um, I know it's what you did there. I'm going to let it go. Um, <laughs> City didn't manage a clean sheet for 11 games that season. It was yeah. it, it, In all competitions, it took until October, which also suggests that they were struggling. That's it, yeah. Um, what was it? Was it uh, personnel? Was it failure to sort of bed in this new tactic? Was it um, the transfers kind of not coming through? Was it a mentality thing where we'd not been able to sort of get ourselves motivated again after the you know the sort of marathon exhausting uh, thirty eight game last kick of the game season previously? Um, you know, had things just kind of like. Was there dips in form? Was there dips in mentality? It was just, it just felt all sorts of wrong early on. And, and a lack of clean sheets was, was awful, really. It was um, an average of shipping two goals a game for, at the start of the season, where Mancini had basically come in. And the, 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 first, first, thing, of, the first thing he did was tighten up the defence, wasn't it? Defense, completely, yeah. Uh, so for, to be shipping that many goals, I mean, three, three, three twos in a row. You know, was that exciting and brilliant and thrilling, but not in keeping with the sort of Mancini style and and his will and the way he wanted to to have his city set up. Yeah, it's also not sustainable either. So you can't you just can't yeah. keep winning games like that. It's not it's not going to happen. Um, this was City's second season in the Champions League. It feels like like City have been Champions League veterans, but it like they they're still relatively new to the competition. And this was only the second year in it. Uh, they go on to break an unwanted record when they finish bottom of the group with, with uh, just three points. They became the first English side ever to fail to record a victory in one of their six group matches. Though in City's defence, it's probably the toughest group the competition has ever seen. All four teams were champions of their own league. They faced German champions Borussia Dortmund, Spanish champions Real Madrid, and Dutch champions Ajax. When that group came out, Kieran, how were you feeling? Were you excited or annoyed by it? Annoyed, yeah. I wasn't excited at all, I don't think. Um, we'd had, in our in our maiden voyage into the Champions League, we'd had a shit of a group the previous season. And uh, I was just praying for a little bit of, of leeway, a little bit of wriggle room for us. And uh, no, it didn't happen to draw. It was the group of death and then some for it to be, um, I think it was even Group D as well, uh, for it to be the three, those three champions who just have such, you know, a famous style of football, Ajax, Dortmund and, and Real Madrid. You know, we were relative minnows in comparison to that. And although we'd won the, you know, although we were rightful champions, um it seemed a big ask to go to all three of those and and try and get something. This this I think this was the 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 actual draw. That group itself was the one that that eventually put the ball in in motion for the seeding system to be changed. Um, because now obviously the, the the league champions of each country are kept apart. They're drawn into mm. each group. Um, so but don't you think group games now are just they seem like such a non-event? 
Well, it's it's funny because I, I remember being a little bit excited by this because my attitude at the time was, well, City are English champions. They should be able to go to, to Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund if they are good enough and put on a, a performance. And in yeah. kind of like naive th- naive way of thinking, because actually, you know, these teams have got experience of the Champions League and how to perform in the Champions League and, and City were just nowhere near that at all. Um, yeah, don't get me wrong. I was excited to see us up against them, but just not hopeful, you know, that we were going to get any results. In, in, in a weird way, I still I still quite like that opening group game against Real Madrid because City almost did it. They almost went there and won. Uh, this is this is the game. This is the commentary from the game. Yaya Toure. He's played Eddie Dzeko in. Onside. Dzeko! Manchester City lead in the Bernabeu. Marcelo with his right foot. Stunning equaliser. Kolarov takes... Benzema turning. Oh, yeah. Beaten Zabaleta. Ronaldo. It did have to be him, didn't it? Yeah, a lot of City fans said they were proud of that display afterwards. But I remember thinking, if you're winning by a goal with five minutes left, uh, it's 11 on 11, you just don't lose the game. Yeah. Joe Hart. Do you remember remember Joe Hart's interview where he was really like, wore, wore his heart on his sleeve? really just seemed knackered he was so annoyed and disappointed he spoke for sort of every City fan there he just um, I, re- I remember him saying it's not good enough it's not good it's enough not I, re- I remember Jacko coming off the pitch and saying it, it was too easy yeah yeah um, but Mancini said to, uh, Joe Hart should stay in nets and see if goals ever the diplomat <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, but no it is he, he, Joe Hart just kept saying it's not on it's not on and then the, the interviewer said um, can you take any positives from this? Are you proud of your performance that you came here? And he was like, no, we came to the Bernabeu to win. We're not going to pat ourselves on the back because, you know, we scored two goals. We were 2-1 up with five minutes left and we'd lost. Um, so, no, I was so, so disappointed with that. So gutted. It was awful. Yeah, it sticks in my grow till now even. Company kind of did a strange duck uh, kind of leave it for Joe Hart with Ronaldo's shot in the end. Yeah. He's going straight to the company's face and he's sort of, instead of like actually being proactive and heading it out, I think he sort of left it for Joe Hart who who was expecting company to head it, I think. Oh, just a calamity. Yeah. Well, after losing that game, City really needed a result at home to Borussia Dortmund but Jurgen Klopp, well, I mean, whatever happened to him? Uh, he had his side <laughs> playing superbly well and City needed a stunning performance from Joe Hart and an 89th minute penalty from Mario Balotelli to rescue a one all draw. Here's the goalkeeper speaking to City TV and then Roberto Mancini in his post-match press conference. Yeah, done alright. Yeah, like I say, I don't do a great deal in the Man City shirt and so when required, I like to step up and hopefully I did that tonight. Did it surprise you how under pressure you were at times? Um, no, nothing surprised you in football. You know, it's a game. You know, they're a Champions League side. The champions of Germany, we're champions of, of our own country, and it was going to be good. And I'm sure it's absolutely, you know, enthralling to watch like a, like our last Champions League game. You know, come out with a point this time. Joe had saved us to this incredible defeat because he saved everything. And we should say thank you to him this evening. You've obviously been in football a long time, Roberto. Was, was that the best performance you've ever seen from a goalkeeper? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know this. <laughs> he did a fantastic performance because it was fantastic tonight. I, I don't know if it was if it's the best performance in the football history, but 
It is very well. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. For me, this is the incredible Joe Hart game, isn't it? You think yeah. of you think of like the Spurs game, or you think of the the Barcelona one. This is the one that I always think of. Yeah, I always think of the Spurs one fondly, really. Um, but then this came along, and yeah, he knocked it out of the park. When you look at the D- Dortmund squad from then, oh my God, it was good. So, Ru- Royce, Roos, um, Lewandowski, Lewandowski, yeah, uh, Gundogan, the traitor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they were just peppering him. No, I think it. What what he was asked there in the interview, Joe Hart, was does it surprise you how much, how many shots there were on you, kind of. But um, I mean that sort of speaks volumes to me about the cracks in City's defence and their naivety on the European stage. But when called upon, he was just brilliant. He, he they, they were coming at him from every angle. There were short uh, distance, there were long distance, uh, there were one on ones, and he just coped with every single one of them so unbelievably well. He was great. It was it was at this point in the season though where you could be forgiven for thinking, hang on, things aren't quite going well well here, are they? They're, they're not they're not really putting momentum together in the Premier League. They're certainly not doing it in the Champions League. Something's up. Yeah, and relying on penalties as well at the end. It was always late. Quite often penalties, um, like getting the rub of the green, but just to save our skins, if that makes sense. Uh, not not. Um, I think you said it earlier on, it wasn't sustainable. You couldn't keep it up this way if this was the way it was going. Um, and no, I mean, look at the cracks in the defence. What do you? How are you going to uh, go up against a team like that and, and just sustain attack after attack after attack and hope that your goalkeeper rescues you? Like something was wrong there. Yeah, well, it made the double header against Ajax, uh, who were the pot four team in this group, all the more important. But then in the Netherlands, City lost control of the game in a disastrous 20 minutes, where a change to the, that new 3-5-2 formation turned a 1-0 lead into a 3-1 deficit. Then back in Manchester, City could only draw 2 all with their opponents, and even that game they'd had to rescue after falling 2-0 down inside 17 minutes. After that, after that double header where City City had two points, they drawn with uh, with Ajax and uh, uh, and, uh, and Dortmund. Were you were you beginning to get a bit embarrassed by how off the pace they were looking? Yeah, I was, and you, you might have noticed in those um, in those commentary clips that you played, there was the ITV commentary still, so the Champions League was still on TV, so everybody watched it, and. Um, that meant that you know you were sort of being embarrassed on the world or the European stage, and everybody could see how bad it was. There was nowhere to hide at all. You know, you couldn't hide out in BT Sport where there was a, a massive selection of games. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, we were. It, it was. It was. There was the. It was tactical naivety. It was. Um, there was an embarrassing mentality. Really, uh, we didn't get much. We didn't get much rub of the green. We didn't get much luck in Europe, but. We kind of had to learn to make our own luck, and you know, and roll with those punches a little bit. If Madrid, you could construe it two ways: was it embarrassing to throw away that, or did we do well to kind of score two at the Bernabeu, and and then it just went downhill from there. If you were going to take any positives from that, there was no positives really to take from it. Um, three draws as well at home. And we just were rock bottom of Group D. I mean, I remember was it after the two two where we should have got a penalty late on? Yeah. And Mancini ran on the pitch and was confronting the referees. Um, it, it was just yeah, it was abysmal. It was just it wasn't it wasn't a nice campaign. 
the uh, you talk about late penalties as well. Like I, I think they had a late penalty against Ajax. That I think one of the the I think the equaliser against Ajax was a penalty. Uh, the oh. equaliser against Dortmund, obviously late penalty. Uh, and again, late penalty from Sergio Aguero rescued a one-all draw with Real Madrid at the Etihad, and, and that. That then left them three points bottom of the group. They had no chance in the final game of of even finishing third in the table to get into the Europa League. So mm. they heavily rotated the team. They went to Dortmund and lost one nil in in what was a dead rubber. Um, yeah. So that season was the only time that City haven't had European football after Christmas since they first qualified for the Champions League in 2012, all the way up to now. And it's only one of two times that's ha- that that's happened since the takeover. So it just kind of go- it goes to show just how much they'd underperformed. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think we were out of the Capital One Cup early against Villa too that season. So there was nothing really after Christmas apart from the FA Cup and the league to concentrate on, um, which sometimes you would be thankful for. But because it was such a, a meek, embarrassing performance in, in Europe, you, you know, you, 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 it was hard to take any positives from it. The, the only thing you could hope for next season was a better group. And that, and that we would kick things. That, I mean, that was the big thing, though, wasn't it? That the, the quality of the group they got was just immense. Yeah, yeah. But I think the following season under Pellegrini was we got Moscow, we got Victoria Pilsen, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, Bayern Munich. You know, you know, it was it was a much more manage- manageable group. It was much uh, it was much easier approach. Ironically, we weren't even champions then. We were, we, you know, we'd finished second. So, you know, we we got a nicer group despite. You know, not we kind of didn't get our just desserts, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I'm going to switch back to the Premier League though now because it was it was this season that Edin Dzeko really got the tag of super sub for City. Uh, he kept coming off the bench and uh, to, to change games. First, City came from behind to win two one at Fulham with his late goal, and uh, the Bosnian then spoke to City TV after the game. We had a hard game here because uh, Fulham is a good side, especially when they play home and. Uh, at the end, I came on and uh, scored the winning goal, and I'm so so happy and proud and happy for the team as well because uh, we didn't play last last few games like we like we did it uh, from the beginning last season, and uh, now now on I hope we'll be better and better every next game. And you were often celebrated with Jolien. Yeah, because he told me before I came on, uh, told me if you score, come to me, and uh, I did that. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Then he did the same at West Brom, scoring twice from the bench. A City, who had been down to 10 men for most of that match after James Milner's early red card. They trailed 1-0 late on. Here he is again speaking to City TV. I feel amazing because uh, I played only, I don't know, 10 or maybe 12 minutes and uh, I managed to score two goals. Of course I'm happy. And what was going through your mind when the ball came in from Sergio to, to score the winner? At first, I didn't expect them to score that one nil because even if we played with the, with the ten players, almost 70 minutes, uh, I think we deserved this win because uh, we had a lot of chances and uh, we played good even in uh, in the first half when uh, Milik got red card. We had uh, we had we had some chances to score and then in second half as well. And then they scored from nothing, but still, at the end, we managed to to score two goals and get, I think, three important important points. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. 
then after City had fallen behind at home to Spurs, they turned it around to win 2-1 late on, with again Dzeko coming off the bench to get the winner. It was his seventh goal of the season and his sixth from the bench. Um, I suppose it shows how much harder City were having to, to work to keep rescuing games that year. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I watched, so, there was uh, one game where he scored and the, and the commentator said, if Jacko's not careful, he's going to get labelled super sub. And just as I was writing a few notes down, I was writing super sub, just, <laughs> to, just as the commentator said that. Um, they won all nine games up to Christmas where he came on as a sub. So it was it was really working. It was really effective what he was going for. But it just showed how much we were having to dig in. And I remember like in the in the ground, how often, you know, where Man City will fight to the end, that chant. And, you know, we've had that label and, and it's nice, but that kind of... Uh, covered up you know if you if you were to sort of like look at the subtext of that chant we were having to fight to the, to the end all the time it was yeah. natural yeah, I I think, just looking at those goals as well though, I mean, I think West Brom is probably my favourite, it's one of the best breakaway goals I've ever seen Oh yeah, it was beautiful, really, really nice um, and Mil- Milner had been sent off that game, hadn't he? Yeah um, Company tried to play out from the back a little bit and gave it away, and then Milner was uh, Milner was last man. So you know we were just at um, at nines and tens. What's that phrase? We were at sixes uh, and sevens. We were sixes and sevens. <laughs> nines and tens. <laughs> um, we were at fourteens <laughs> and fifteens. <laughs> we were sixes and sevens at the back so often, uh, and Milner with the last gasp. Uh, kind of professional file, I guess. Um, but yeah, so to, to to be down to ten men and to have, you know, one of the reasons why that game's so memorable is that beautiful breakaway goal. But that steely resolve that was probably missing in so many games, and you know, the, the, maybe the lack of mentality to want to come back after winning last season. Sort of, I'm at the top of the mountain. I can't be bothered climbing up again. Um, but that game really showed it. And I mean, the away fans. The, the limbs uh, in the away end there just I mean it just seemed amazing you'd have loved to have been there and the away fans will surely tell you it was a great game that Spurs game as well um, I, I remember for being I, I think it was Mykon's only good game for City because uh, the Spurs fans seemed delighted that Mykon was coming on at half time because obviously for, for Inter I think the year before Gareth Bale had ripped him a new one um, mm. a couple of times uh, and then he came on and changed the game in City's favour and, and City went on to win <laughs> Yeah, uh, I like I don't remember I don't remember much of my con. He just it, it just seemed to be a kind of in and out. He came and he went, but it was nice. To, it was nice to have one game at least to look back on. Especially the irony being when the Spurs fans are saying about uh, taxi for my con because he did. He ripped. He ripped. Uh, Gareth Bale ripped him a new one, didn't he? Um, but Spurs fans need to be careful, don't they, with their chance because it, it quite often goes back to bite them in the arse. <laughs> One of these days, uh, one of these days, VAR is really going to do them a disservice. You'd, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. Obviously, at that stage of the season, though, when City beat Spurs, uh, it was it was early November. They were still hanging on United's coattails. They were still in in the running for the for the league title. It wasn't ideal, but going into the first Manchester derby in early December, uh, they were second behind United by three points. So a, a win would take them level. Uh, level with the top spot but after falling 2-0 down and pulling it back to 2-2 this happened Robin Van Persie on his Manchester Derby debut deep deep into it here he goes and it's in 
the deflection. What a derby debut. There's every chance he's won it for Manchester United. That was only City's first defeat of the season. So they are, like, at that stage, they six points behind. They were still in the running. But did you ever forgive Samir Nasri for that, turning turning yeah. his back? <laughs> that was awful. I just I had to take my headphones out and hold them away from me there because I couldn't even listen to them. No, uh, it was it was hard to forgive Samir Nasri for that. Uh, and Mancini, I don't think, ever did. Later in the season, he said he wanted to punch him. Um, Tevez... I mean, I don't hold grudges against Carlos Tevez, really, but he gave away that free kick and he also left the wall, which was which was just needless. Um, there's a lot of things about that really, really, really get to me. It was late on. Um, City had been the better team all game. They'd fallen 2-0 behind but but rescued it. And it looked like the, uh, of that last 10 minutes after Zabaleta's equaliser, there was only one team going on to win it and they went on to lose. Yeah, it was like a reverse Aguero, wasn't it? The sort of laid on 3-2. Um, just a, a real gut punch, that. I hate that. I really, really hate that, Derby. Um, we just we did deserve to win, and especially after coming from 2-0 down um, and going into it unbeaten. After, you know, after a, a wishy-washy, not great seasons, not great season, to go into that Derby and to pull ourselves back from the brink and then just fall away anyway to a stupid... I mean, what was Nasri doing, ducking out of the way of that? Mancini said afterwards, put your body on the line, put your face on the line, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, and it, it is hard to, it's hard to think back to that, to that season, to that goal. And Robin Van Persie as well, who we'd missed out on scoring it. He just, he proved to be the dif- difference in so many ways, didn't he? He did. Um the real killer for City's title run, though, was was a run of two draws and a defeat at the start of February. It was 0-0 at QPR and then 2-2 at home to Liverpool, and then they went to Southampton and lost 3-1. Uh, it left City trailing United by 12 points. Uh, this is Roberto Mancini speaking to the BBC, and he was absolutely furious with his team. We, we had uh, some players that we didn't, we didn't pay with some players. Uh, they, we did a really big performance, and uh, Southampton played better than us, but... Uh, we we consider two goals that I think that one team like us can consider a goal like this. Have you ever seen goals conceded by Manchester City in this fashion? No, no, never. And uh, I think that. Uh, but uh, in the end, uh, we did two incredible mistakes. But uh, in the end, the uh, the performance was uh, was really poor with uh, many many players. I think that we played this game with two or three players. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now, the one thing that I remember quite vividly from that game, I haven't watched it back, uh, but Gareth Barry's own goal was just, it was, he had so much time as well and he just rolled it into the bottom corner. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... It, I don't know. It doesn't even enter the top five of comical city own goals, really. But um, it, it it really was a disastrous one. It, Barry had a funny season, really, didn't he? You could kind I of think... you could kind of tell he was on his way at that point. I yeah. think. Um, yeah. He still had another year left after that, but I, I like Pellegrini never fancied him, and I it looked like his legs weren't quite there anymore. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and I think possibly the like De Rossi being a target. 
would probably have been, you know, putting in there where where Gareth Barry's sort of feelings were by this stage, you know, maybe to somebody with a little bit more tenacity and a little bit more vim, you know, at that stage in their career. Although De Rossi was getting on, but anyway, I'm off the point. Uh, it was yeah, it was a ridiculous own goal. Just tapped it in. I think it was the second own goal of the season. He scored one against his former club Villa in the in the Capital One too. So, um. Yeah, just, sad. <laughs> just a, a bad season. Uh, yeah. But it was it was also um, the start of kind of Joe Hart's downturn in form. He, his errors in that game were frustrating, and and, and the weeks that followed, he, he didn't quite look as secure as, as secure as he had been. Um, it was after this game as well that rumours started to to circulate about his future under Mancini, with talk of of Mancini being interested in Begovic from I think he was at Stoke at the time. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go a bit your da here, like, but. When you look, I, I googled it last night. His first head and shoulders advert was January two thousand and thirteen, and this was February. So, was he getting a little bit, you know, into himself? Was he getting a little bit of a was he getting a little bit of a celebrity status in his mind? Was his was his eye off the ball a little bit in terms of being between the sticks? Um, you know what what like what happened to Joe Hart? It's going to be one of those sort of mysteries that scholars. Uh, will look back on because he was an unbelievable goalkeeper and mistakes and errors weren't really a facet of, or a, a feature of his game and suddenly they, they started to creep in a little bit and then but then he had another good two years and then it happened again and just it, it, it's it's still happening to this day now to the, to yeah. the point where I don't think he's going to recover from it quite frankly yeah. um, problem was it in this was in Pellegrini's second season that he dropped no, him for that? It, it was in Pellegrini's first season. It was actually it was less than what six months after this Southampton game. Right. Well, there you go. Wow. I noticed something. You see, if you watch back the highlights, uh, he always got beat at his bottom left. Always three of Liverpool's four goals against us that season were long range efforts bottom left. They'd obviously yeah. been told. Go for, so, his, yeah. go for his bottom left. Yeah. Um, speaking of, of bad years, it was a bad year for Micah Richards. Uh, it was the start of his end at City, I think. Uh, the sliding doors moment was not being picked for Euro 2012. He went to the Olympics instead and picked up a serious ankle injury, missing the first two months of the season. Then just three games into his comeback, he went down with nobody around him in a 1-0 win over Swansea. When when that happens, immediately you think, oh God. Yeah. Yeah, it breaks my heart what happened to Michael Richards really at City. Um, because even now, you know, he's he's just blue through and through, isn't he? He's an absolute ambassador and representative of the club. And this was the beginning of his end. Um, at th- that was the longest match in Premier League history, I think, because Vorm went down later that match as well, injured. So he had this big, long stretch of two really worrying injuries for two players. But um, I can't remember well, the exact number, but I seem to remember the announcement being something like the fourth official has indicated 14 added minutes. Yeah, yeah, it was, it <laughs> we kind of go, I don't know how to measure this now. <laughs> yeah, I did the tree and back as well. It wasn't pleasant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, uh, it was It was the beginning of the end for him. It was, it was so pitiful that he wasn't picked for England because he was immense. He was such a good player. And what a season he'd had, you know, for the Premier League, for the incumbent Premier League champions when that squad was being picked um, you know he, he was he was just a, a colossus for us and he never ever recovered for City or you know f- any any sort of subsequent teams that he went to yeah. um, that was that was it it was a sort of nail in his coffin bless him it did open up Pablo Zabaleta to being a regular in the team though and boy did he take his chance he ended up making the PFA team of the year that year 
I mean, there, there were so many negatives in this season for City and really, really hard to pull any positives from it. But Zabaleta was just, he was absolutely class. And I loved this season because not only did he sort of cement himself as being a brilliant footballer, but this was a season where we all sort of sat up and took notice of him as being just a true, great hero and a, and a legend. Like, I remember tweeting out that like, he was a legend in the making, and I think Rob Pollard replied to me saying, he already is. Do you know, like, it was it was so, so quick for his legendary status to kind of uh, cement itself at the, at the club. Brilliant, brilliant player. And really, really effective as well going forward. Um, you know, the... I don't think he was ever, it, it ever felt like he was a wing back in the sort of three at the back idea. But he just, as an out, as a fullback, because he was a brilliant defender too, um, getting himself forward and, and crossing the balls in. Just for some reason, my, um, you know, you know, where you position that player on the pitch, I positioned Zabaleta kind of in the final third. Yeah. The, I never really picture him defending weirdly, even though he was so good. He, uh, he scored a, a great goal at Stoke as well. It was City's first win at Stoke in years um, yeah. in the FA Cup run. We're, we're going to come on to the FA Cup run a bit later on, though, so we'll save that for then. Uh, speaking of quality goals and Argentinians, when he was back from injury, Sergio Aguero scored some outstanding goals this season. Uh, there was there was a chip against Norwich at Carrow Road. That was uh, a 4-3 thriller over Christmas. This is what happened. Aguero there with Bassong. It's Aguero. It's a magnificent finish. A third for Manchester City. Down to 10 men. But bouncing back off the canvas. Then he scored this absolutely incredible goal from a narrow angle against Liverpool. Barrett on towards Aguero. He's got there in front of Pepe Reina. And he scored an absolutely incredible goal. There are very few players in world football who can put the ball in from that kind of angle. But you are not in the company of any ordinary footballer. You're in the company of Sergio Aguero. Well, he had no right to get there first, but he did. He had no right to score from there, but he did. And then, of course, there's this unforgettable effort at Old Trafford. Aguero. And still, Sergio Aguero. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The man who made City champions... Holds up United's championship charge. When you watch those goals back, Kieran, what did you think? Uh, kind of what I thought at the time. We're just so lucky to have this man at our football club. Um, he can do the impossible, can't he? Um, when you think it can't be done, he can prove to you that it can. Uh, Everyone remembers really- that that United goal. Um, but, and I think, I think it's a great goal, but the Liverpool one is so good. Do you remember when you asked us to send through a voice note of our of our favourite Sergio Aguero goals? I think it was when he broke the record yeah. or when he got the, um that's the one I sent in. That goal is highly rated, but I think it's still underrated. Yeah, it's really uh, hard to find online as well, you know. There's not it's yeah. not barely any footage of it. Yeah. Um that was a that was a Gareth Barry assist actually. He played it through. Skirtle kind of was in two minds whether to chase him or not, and he kind of left it to Reina. Reina came out and Aguero and Reina were both sort of stood together nearly at the corner flag and he managed to get it at the, from that angle and nestling inside netting 
But it wasn't oh. only that. Carragher was getting back to the line. He, he got it over Carragher's kind of stretched yeah. foot. It was just... On, if he'd have rolled it on the ground, it had been blocked. It was about, must have been about two feet off the ground, and he just it just planted it into the corner of the net as well. One of those goals that, that's, that always looks better because it didn't bounce on the way in. Do you know what I mean? It, it landed yeah. at the point where the net hits the ground. Yeah, and it, every angle of it just looks beautiful as well. It doesn't matter where you see it coming from. It still just looks spectacular and... and impossible and, and achieved and it's, it, it's his celebration as well where he's because of the the way that he's had to take the shot he's ended up flat on his arse yeah. and he's just sat there watched it and then just kind of like two fists going while he's sat down yeah. it's fantastic both <laughs> sat side and basically the two of them at the corner flag if you had just switched on you would be like what has just happened <laughs> why are the two of them over there <laughs> We're going to come on to the FA Cup now because the title race was was long over before the end of the season. City did have the chance to finish the season with some silverware in the FA Cup, though. It was a relatively easy run to the semi-final. It's seen them beat Watford, Stoke, Leeds and Barnsley. Um, the FA Cup draw was definitely being kind. Uh, the win at Stoke, as we touched on before, wasn't uh, wasn't a simple task, though. Although I, I think possibly more remembered for the fact that the fans were having a snowball fight outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Zabaleta come up with a really nice goal. That was, was just one of those tetchy kind of games that just reminded you of every time you ever played Stoke. Um, just really hard to break down, really hard to see an impasse. Um, and then Zabaleta, just as so often he did that season, popped up with the goods. When you were kind of on your backs and you t- needed to turn to somebody so often, he found a way. Um, and yeah, a lovely little finish. He, he got th- three or four goals that season, um, which was... Which was interesting because not not that many of City's players were scoring regularly. Silva and Nasri only got seven goals, um, and yet between them, and um, it was it was quite interesting to watch kind of a defender come up for it. And um, yeah, no, it was. And I remember him running behind the goal, and there was snow all over the back. <laughs> oh, and that was brilliant. Um, uh, the semi-final then against Chelsea featured another great Aguero goal. It was that, that wonderful header that just left uh, Petacek absolutely standing. I love it. I love it when a when a goal leaves a keeper standing because it just it it just looks so good when it's uh, when, when there's nothing they could do. Um, yeah. it, it left winning against Chelsea left City with virtually their name on the cup. It was relegation threatened Wigan in the final. So where did it go wrong? Um, where did it go wrong? Uh, I think it went wrong on the day itself. Um, the the media agenda was in full force, <laughs> <laughs> and they broke the story that City were lining up Pellegrini to to take over from Mancini. And it was a number of sources were saying, and a number of pap- papers broke the story, and it just seemed to put everybody about and send everybody under. Uh, the fans were chanting, weren't they? You can shove your Pellegrini up your arse. It was well. It was one of those things where, like, I've never known a managerial sacking be so unpopular. Mm, I know, and like when the dust has settled a little bit, you kind of can look back on it and understand a few things about maybe why they wanted to. But absolutely nobody I knew wanted Mancini to go, Um so. And especially when these rumours started circulating on FA Cup final day, that was horrific. Um, I also, I don't know how you feel about this, but I didn't like the fact that Pantelemon was dropped for Hart. 
Well, I was I was going to come on to this because there were there was the story that Joe Hart had basically said you have to play me or there's there's going to be a mutiny sort of thing, which I I don't know how much of that I believe. Because I was going to ask the question, do you think Mancini fell out with too many people? And that that would kind of feed into that that theory that that he was that he'd fallen out with most of the dressing room. Yeah. I I personally think Pantilimon should have played the final because that's that you know he'd been trusted in the in the rounds before. He'd been trusted against Chelsea for goodness sake. So like, why wouldn't you trust him in in the final game? Um, weirdly, I didn't think the same for Caballero against Liverpool. <laughs> no, but, oh, I didn't at all. No, but here we are. Yeah. Um... It did scream dissension in the ranks, though. Uh, it, it felt like a decision that had been not taken with the best will in the world. It seemed like there was a fallout. There was, it was made through anger. Um, they weren't exactly happy about it. And I think City played as if there were problems in the background that day. There was a real lack of cohesion. Um, nobody had brought their A game. Everybody had something on their mind. That's it, exactly. Yeah, the fans had something on their mind. Mancini clearly had something on their mind. There was a goalkeeper issue, which probably upset the back four. Um, and it just, unfortunately, I think we probably showed up thinking we could beat Wigan in our sleep. So let's just do that. And and kind of, I think they took their eye off the matter at hand, really, because there was so much else going on in the background. And I, I know we, we'll never really know, but... Um, I mean, let's take nothing away from Wigan. I mean, they they did have us scared numerous times on the day. So you know, it wasn't it wasn't just that City were terrible. Wigan, you know, Wigan had a lot. I, Callum McManaman had nightmares about him for the, you know for the following <laughs> weeks. Uh, his name just seemed to be mentioned every time, and he just had the had the beatings of us. But it's funny because I don't. Re- I was at that game, and it's one of the. I, I've been fortunate in that most of the times that I've gone to watch City at Wembley, they've won, and most of the times that City have lost at Wembley, I haven't been there. Yeah. Um, but that was one of the few defeats at Wembley that I was at. And I I remember thinking at full time I wasn't angry or disappointed or anything. I just remember thinking at full time. Well, you know what? I, I think we can deserve it. So well done to you sort of thing yeah. I wasn't I wasn't like normally I'd have been devastated by that result it just felt like there were bigger things going on that's it that's it yeah it kind of as soon as it was over it was like oh what where do we go from here this feels this feels worrying it feels horrible do you know and it was kind of unfo- I can't really remember was the Champions League final at Wembley that summer because they it was one of those rare occasions where the FA Cup final happened before the end of the season so you, you sort of think to yourself, fate played a little part of it there as well, because you know if it had been an FA Cup at the normal stage, we, we you know we, on a better day, a week after the fa- the season had finished, you know we probably would have had a different approach, a bit of a sliding doors moment again. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's a funny funny FA Cup final as well because it's uh, it's the only time the FA Cup's been won by a team that's been relegated. Mm. And uh, it was it's the uh, Pablo Zabaleta became the only the only player to be sent off in a FA Cup final. Yeah, you forget about that, don't you? Because he was such a hero. You know, nobody ever held that against him. Um, what I really hate the patronising sort of terms which people talk about Wigan fans and that when people say Wigan fans would give anything to still be in the Premier League and give up that FA Cup win, and all Wigan fans were like, "No, we wouldn't. That was the best day ever." <laughs> It was unreal. We beat Man City in the FA Cup final. Um, there's, there's no chance Wigan fans are going to look at that and, and think, oh, I wish I was still in the Premier League fighting a relegation battle every year. 
Yeah, well, let's uh, let, let's. This is Sven Goran Eriksson. We're going to talk about uh, Mancini's character. Uh, this is his former manager, Sven Goran Eriksson, from his time at Sampdoria. Uh, speaking to Five Live back in 2013, it was after Mancini's sacking at City. Uh, talking about Mancini's character, he complained uh, a lot. <laughs> he helped the team a lot during the whole week. He, especially in Sampdoria, he was a captain. He control that the kit man did his job, he control things were right in the office, he, everything. That the pitch was cut, he did everything. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, during matches, he, um, if a player didn't do exactly what I have told them to do, he got upset and he screaming and... The referee, oh, he could have killed referees. <laughs> he was furious. He was sent off many times for talking, protesting. So, so when you saw things, by all accounts, unravel at Manchester City last season and talk of player discontent, knowing Mancini's character, did that surprise you? It surprised me because, because I think, uh, you know, he was uh, the manager in Inter for many years and I think he did a brilliant job there. He won the league twice or three times, I think, with them. So... Hearing that the players didn't like him, I don't know if that's true or not, because he's a, he's a nice man and I think he's changed since he's been a manager. When he was the captain of Sampdoria, he was, he was uh, sometimes bad. but Intimidating. Yeah. yeah. But uh, at the same time, uh, once a week he took the whole team out for dinner and who paid the bill? He, of course. Always very generous, and uh, the players they loved him, even if uh, he was arguing with them. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. It kind of puts that season into a different perspective, doesn't it, Kieran? When you hear that, yeah, it's it was horrible that he that he left. Uh, I, st- I still don't. You know, we've one, one of. I mean, if you take Guardiola out of the um, out of the equation, he's just you know probably our best ever manager. Like it really sort of it it does put it into perspective when you hear Sven talking there. And and I hate the thought. You mean you said this earlier on, but I hate the thought of it of it being um, too a case of falling out with too many people that he had to go because. You know, you'd hate to think it's just too many bruised egos in the dressing room, and suddenly there's a mutiny and a rebellion against them, and he has to go because you know the discipline that he instilled and and the the heights that said he reached under that approach. You know, was it a case of just too many bollockins too often, and and, and suddenly they were fed up with him? But I mean, that's no way to be because he he brought success, didn't it? It was it's awful the way he left. Well, I was going to say, could anybody else have done the job that he'd done at City? No, no. Um, he was exactly the right moment at exactly the right. Oh, sorry, he was exactly the right man at exactly the right time. Um, he came in with a really, real strong structural plan. Um, he sorted out the defence. I mean, I remember the nil-nil against United and then the nil-nil against Birmingham at home, two games in a row that season, uh, 10-11 season. And you know, it wasn't really too exciting. It was, it was. Boring stuff, but you could see what his plan was. He was trying to get that defence completely sorted out. Um, he needed to instill a winner's mentality. He needed to be fierce, tenacious, 
um, strict and regimental at times, but he was perfect for City then. And um, look at his success. He was unreal, an absolute hero. And um, he got sacked on the 13th of May, didn't he? It was 12 months to the day after winning the title. That's disgusting. That's horrendous. Really, really irksome that, you know, that you look back on the Premier League moment for anybody, never mind City fans, and, you know, what he did for us that day and that season. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the cruel irony that he uh, sacked a year to the day later. Um, no, but, I mean, it was, it, it, by the sound of things, he just did fall out with too many people. You're right. Um, he hated the kits that season. Did you know that we, we played in purple? The training kits were purple, and he had a massive superstition against that. You I know didn't, that? I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he was. Ma- he hated the color purple to wear for football, and he was like, so he was even falling out with like the kit suppliers. <laughs> um, we haven't even talked about this, but do you remember on in the January two thousand and thirteen, the fight with uh, Balotelli? Yeah. And Balotelli left that window. Um. So you know he was falling even as like his his son. His prodigal son, who you know, they always talked about this sort of father-son relationship. Even he was just one step too far. By the sound of things, he'd he'd fallen out with goalkeepers. Um, you don't know whether Yaya had still sort of some upset about the previous kind of birthday cake fallout and all that kind of nonsense. Yaya didn't seem the kind of the player he was that year. Um, and you know, one by one, when you kind of look through who you had left. He had that high-profile falling out with Tevez. So you imagine the two of them didn't always see eye to eye. Jekyll was sort of sulking a little bit about always being the sub. Even so company, had... company had his had his moments because uh, he came back from injury and went straight on international duty, and Mancini didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. The the what he said about Nasri as well. Um, so yeah, when you look through the squad, how many people were were allies of him come the end? You would you would hate to think that they've used the player power to you know, extract somebody from their midst who'd done so well for them. Um but what a what a manager, what a man, what an unbelievable um figure. I'll never forget, you know, wearing that wearing that scarf on the touchline every year. Um just a, a handsome devil and a and a you know, he just seemed to really get the club. Remember the advert he put in the uh in the MEM when he left as well? Yeah. He was everything. I um, I'm going to let you into a secret now. I've never said this on the show before, but every year I ask him if he'll do it and uh, and speak to us for for a podcast. Um, and I've never never managed to get him to do it yet, but we've come close on a number of occasions. So I'm going to keep asking the question till we till we get him. Before we finish, though, um, I want to talk about the kits from that season because like Mancini might not have liked them. Uh, they were some of my favourites, less so the home shirt with the black and white badge, but the away shirt, the old maroon one with the gold letters, and that third shirt, the grey and black stripes that they wore at, at Real Madrid. They were, they, I thought they were fantastic. Um, yeah. Which which game of those two those those kits? What what game do you think of for each one? Oh, oh. Um... The home kit, and I pick up when you said there about uh, the crest. The crest was black, wasn't it, to match the collar? Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really like that either. I think, I think the home crest should be traditional, you know, in its in its traditional colours. Um, but what comes to mind for that was um, the two one against United, Aguero's the Phil Jones face goal. Yeah, um, 
yeah, I, I really, I really remember that. I loved all three of those kits. I had, there was, I think, this is the last season I had all three of those shirts. Umbro's last season, wasn't it? Uh, yes, I think it was. I for the home shirt, I always get uh, the Spurs game where Jacko scored late on. Right. Yeah, just that sort of like him stood there with his arms open. Yeah. That was That's a sort of fire celebration that season, wasn't it? Just his arms out, like, look at me. <laughs> Here, don't forget. <laughs> so what about the maroon one? What do you think of for that? West Brom, instantly. Yeah, same. And again, that's Jekyll's celebration. That does it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or Milner walking off wearing it. Uh, <laughs> How about the stripes, the, uh, the the grey and black? Oh, I love that away, kid. I, I, I've got Zabal. I've got that shirt with Zabaletta on the back of it with the gold Premier League badges. Like... Like a (laughs) twelve-year-old. Now I remember looking at the shirts coming out that season, and knowing that we were blue and maroon, and thinking to myself, when we play Aston Villa or West Ham, who have the claret and blue, we'll have to be wearing the third kit. So it's Villa away because I watched it with my mate Adam, who's a Villa fan, and um, it was a scrappy one-nil when Tevez scored, and I always think of that game in that shirt. I uh, I always get Real Madrid away and Dzeko's celebration again. There's something about Dzeko that season. <laughs> I'd have said that, yeah. <laughs> the, the final thing about the kits that year, uh, it was the year that everybody seemed to get messages on the shirts. I remember uh, Dzeko had, uh, I think, Happy New Year when he scored at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, Tevez had one in uh, under his shirt. Um in the community shield, I think Nasri did yeah. it in the in the Southampton game. There were so many of those those kind of undershirt messages that season, and I think it was that year that the Premier League decided that uh, uh, yeah, it's a bookable offence now, no more. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's you wish the mentality was as strong with their on pitch performances, really, don't you? <laughs> quirky little clever messages. Balotelli <laughs> um, had one under his shirt that didn't. And he didn't score. He had, a, he had a stinker of a game. But I think through the sweat and the kind of clothy material of that shirt, you could see that he he got uh, YOLO brother Drake or something. You could see through it. And you know what? Just seems so pathetic that he kind of <laughs> sent a message to his mate Drake with you, you only live once on it. Like, ugh. No, and the Premier League did crack down on it. Such a silly thing to crack down on when there's so much, when so many other issues. It's just a nice thing. Why do you have to? Well, you have to rule with an iron fist all the time, you know. Sometimes you've got to, though, haven't you? Right, well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast and in all likelihood, the lockdown specials. City are due to restart their season shortly and if that's still the plan by the time we next come to record, then it'll be back to normal for us as well. Thank you for listening to these special shows and we'll no doubt have some more of them in the future given how much we've enjoyed making them. And don't forget, you can also go back and listen to any of them in any order you like because none of them are time-sensitive. Thanks also to my guest this week, Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. If you'd like some more, then please consider signing up to our Patreon page. We do a bonus show each week for backers of $2 per month. That's four or five extra shows of at least 20 minutes, although today's ran to about 35 minutes in total. And that's just $2 or about £1.59 in the UK. I'll be back next week. I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.